Yeah, this is a message for you, uh, Dolomore. Uh, you need to stop spreading lies and misinformation about President Trump. Just wanted you to know that you're lying and you need to stop it. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore. Everybody, episode 408 of I Dotted with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and seated across from me, not quite as sing songy as I am today, apparently, the lovely, talented, scholarly co host of mine that you've grown to know and love, Brittany Page. I'm not as sing songy as you. Yeah, I just did some sing songy thing as I was introducing the show. Oh. And uh, you're never sing songy. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I am. No, when you speak, you don't speak in a sing-song kind of way. Oh, okay. Well, that might be true. Come on. But, but you have you have audio of me that you're holding over my head that you're going to use in the future to possibly. Well, you just mentioned it. Now I'm going to have to bring it out next show. Me. No, you're not going to have to break it out next show. It's never going to be. Everyone's going to want to hear it now. No. You just mentioned it. No. So, <laughs> so this this was a lesson, and this has only happened one time. Okay, one time because I I learned my lesson as soon as it happened that I can't be singing around the microphone when we're prepping you for the also, show because no, it, because listen, it's recording. You've sung multiple times because it's recording. You sang like you're getting ready to jam for some song like the 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 hype song that you play before the show, and then also you sang more technical difficulties one time. More technical difficulty. You remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So you that's, sing- that's fine. That's been played on the show. That's like a drop. But is it? I think that you played I it. I don't think anyone's ever heard that. I'm pretty sure that you played it. All right. But um, yeah. Anyway, uh, teacher appreciation week. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the segue. Um, it was. I thought it was Teacher Appreciation Day, but apparently they give those people a whole week. Well, I Googled it because I was trying to verify. I know people were talking about it, but I I didn't know if that was a real thing or if, you know, people were just saying that. And there was there was several questions. When is Teacher Appreciation Day? When is Teacher Appreciation Week? When is Teacher Appreciation Month? So there's apparently all kinds of teacher appreciation recognition going on. Well, I knew there was something for teachers going on because we went into Seize Candy the other day. Mm-hmm. And the lady was like, did you get your chocolate for your teacher? I mean, there was like a whole ordeal going on with trying to pimp out the chocolate, push yeah. the chocolate on people yeah. for the teachers. Well, that's nice. And they deserve that. So that that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you um, have any... Uh, any teachers that uh, stick out in your mind as, 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 as better than others? Of course. I don't know why I asked the question because I have nothing. I don't know of one in my immediately in my head. Really? I have some teachers I feel bad about having been a dick to. But go ahead. Uh, who, who do you remember? Okay. So I... And I'll w- think while you're I remember talking. my first grade teacher, Mrs. McDonough, and my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Betzold. 
And I remember both of them because um, on my fifth grade graduation day, my first grade teacher brought me um, a class photo and circled me and then like wrote a little message about happy graduation day. Hmm. And it was nice to have you in the class. And that was really thoughtful. But Mrs. Betzold was my fifth grade teacher. And on the graduation day, she sat us all in a circle and she started crying like full on crying and saying that she was going to miss us and she was so proud of us. And I remember feeling like, holy shit, this person really cares about us because she's like sad to see yeah. us go. Wow. And it it really sticks out in my mind as a profound experience. Um, and she's my friend on Facebook. Hasn't deleted me. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Hasn't deleted me. <laughs> and That's then, a high watermark right there. And then there's obviously my seventh grade literature teacher who is now my godfather. And mm. I think we've talked about him too. Um, that's probably my most significant teacher um, experience. Yeah. But I had I had other bad experiences with teachers too, where I was mean to them and yeah was was not well behaved. It it depended on personality, I think. Like if you could get away with it with somebody, then you you acted like that. Was that the way it was for you, or you were just like that with everybody? I think I was generally. Um, I mean, I was always probably ill behaved as a kid. But like class clowny, you know, seeking attention, mm-hmm. shocker, mm-hmm. and um, and it it really blossomed in junior high and high school. And the guy that I feel baddest, most badly about, baddest Jesus, he wasn't an English teacher, <laughs> um, was a guy named Sherman, Jim Sherman, Mister Sherman, mm. history teacher. Yeah, and in in junior high. I don't think the guy walked differently or had a a, a special gait, mm-hmm. but we all made fun of how he walked. And he wasn't like handicapped or anything. He was just a dude who walked. But uh, I was really aggressively lame to him. I think he told my mom in a conference one time that I was the worst behaved student he'd had in like 17 years of teaching or something. Wow. So I wasn't very nice to that guy. Mm. And I, I'm sure I made his job way fucking harder than it had to be. Yeah. But I, there's all kinds of teachers that I, you know, Weller, my high school English teacher was awesome and I wasn't super great in her class either. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I've had a lot of Easterbrook in junior high. He was also a track coach. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was coaches who also doubled as teachers that I ended up getting to know a little better because mm-hmm. I was, you know, a track athlete. So Yeah. I remember also my high school government teacher and law um, teacher. I had him for a couple of classes, Mm. Mr. Knudsen. And he was not a liberal, um, but he always praised me for speaking up in class because it was often me against the whole class. You were like the lone liberal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these kids would be like talking about solutions for homelessness and they would say that you should fly them all to an island and then blow it up. And like, I would just be, I would be sitting in class. Like, am I supposed to try to like have a conversation with these people? Is that an official position (laughs) or are you just being a dick? I'm like, why am I being forced to talk to you right now? Um, but he, he would always thank me and be like, thank you for continuing to try to do this because it can't be easy for you, you know? Um, and that's, that's where, <laughs> um, I think a lot of this like stemmed where I started getting interested in politics and started mixing it up with whoever I could. 
um, in order to talk about it because of his class. I was like, well, I want to start talking about this stuff. I want to, yeah, yeah. I want to be involved in this stuff. Yeah, it's good. I, listen, teachers are important, uh, and I think good, memorable teachers are rarer than they should be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because we don't incentivize teachers through monetary compensation like we do. Hmm. People who really, and that's not all, that's not to say there aren't passionate teachers out there who do the job despite the money they don't make. I'm not saying that. But if we paid teachers a double what we pay them now, there would be incentive for people who, who could go out and do other things uh, to take on the vocation of education right. and make some fucking money doing it. And oftentimes, like I've had all kinds of great college professors, mm, but yeah. they get paid money more than, you know, secondary and, and high school. Mm-hmm. They, they just do. So you incentivize the good people who rise to the levels where the money is. Well, I think burnout happens a lot of times too because yeah. they are struggling. Kids like me. Well, yes, but also because they, I read an article recently that somewhere like $500 a year out of pocket expenses yeah. that they're paying. Like um, 90% of teachers. Yeah. And like that's, it was over, like 91% of teachers polled yeah. said they've paid money out of their own goddamn check. Right. For supplies that are necessary to do their job. Right. Or even teachers that have to have multiple jobs because yeah. they're working as a teacher. Uber doesn't, drivers and shit. Yeah, doesn't allow them to pay their bills. That's not okay. That's going to cause them to be tired and burned yeah. out. And that's not good. Not perform well yeah. at their main job. Right. So they need to be taken care of. Because they were up all night of. driving drunks around in Lyft or Uber. Right. And and it's such an important job because they're forming young minds and yeah. trying to cultivate that curiosity that will hopefully be with kids for the rest of their life to continue to be lifelong learners. And if they aren't in a position to do that, then there's going to be generations of people that uh, are not yeah. <laughs> are not doing what they should. I can tell you it's good to see Recently, we've seen it in West Virginia, we've seen it in Oklahoma, we've seen it in Arizona, I think a couple other states, where teachers are mobilizing. Yeah. I used to be, and this is when I would just regurgitate my parents' ridiculous conservative political opinions, but I used to be the guy who was like, well, you knew what you were getting into salary-wise when you signed up to be a teacher, and I would malign uh, teachers who would threaten to strike. Like, what's more important to you, the kids or the paycheck? Well, you know what? You have to, you know, millions and millions of teachers across the country have kids, too, that they need to feed. Mm-hmm. So right. if they're going to choose their kids and the well-being of their children over the children that they teach in school in their job, they shouldn't have to make that choice. Mm-hmm. So I, I applaud teachers who go on strike now. And I think it is vital to the negotiation process. Um because they're in a tough spot. They're held hostage by the governments that pay them. And the only way to make any headway relative to negotiation is to maybe flip the script and put the government on notice that you're not going to fucking put up with it. You're not going to be held hostage anymore. And you're going to take a stand. So uh, that's that's what I feel about that. So Teacher Appreciation Week. I, I think it was last t- week. I don't know if we said that, but we're catching up. All right. We're slow. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't taught by great teachers. We're getting it. <laughs> I was. I'm teasing. I recognize several. Did you hear the laugh after I said it? No. I was that too, I was blinded by my... Rage. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, listen, uh, a few episodes ago, we talked about Brittany. She had a Ouija board story, some bullshit ghost story she had. <laughs> and apparently, we put a call out for people to talk about their own. And uh, nine episodes later, <laughs> we we got a response. Hey, guys, this is Tony from Texas, truck driver. Calling in regards to episode 399. 399, um, Brittany Page is requesting that uh, people call in with their ghost experiences, so I'll go ahead and give you mine real quick. So I was in college, and um, I was staying in an apartment, and as I was sleeping one night, I was in there by myself, like I woke up to this like glowing white whatever over me, call it a ghost, whatever, something over me. So I kind of jumped up got startled, but immediately went right back to sleep. Well, that same night, um, I had a dream that a guy that I used to, uh, like, help paint houses and just work with, um, that he and I were sitting on a bench uh, in a park, and he was telling me to, like, tell his wife that he's okay, blah, blah, you know, the whole thing. So I didn't think anything of it. I went to school. I was a baseball player. went and played baseball and all that, and uh, came home for lunch, and my sister called so I'm talking to my sister, and I'm like, man, let me tell you about this dream. So I told her what, you know, what had happened and what happened that previous night, and she goes, wow. She goes, he died yesterday. So coincidence, we can call it like Brittany Pages, definitely her, and her situation is not a like coincidence. <laughs> but for me to have a dream about the guy, the guy passed away pretty much that day. The day prior that I had a dream about him. And it's just, that's too coincidental. I mean, I didn't dream about this guy all the goddamn time. So that that was pretty crazy. Um, but things like that uh, are personal experiences with people where either you connect and you think there is something more or you don't. I'm not, like, religious, but I am spiritual. And I do believe in energy in all things. So anyhow, yes, I do believe in ghosts and, and presences. Uh, sorry, Jesse D., uh, you're a douchebag, but it's okay. It's all right. Uh, just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it hadn't happened. There are people in China. You may have not been in China, but there are people there. Not saying you haven't been in China. I don't fucking know. I'm just saying. All right. Hey, that's my experience. Uh, that was for Brittany Page. Jesse D., Brittany Page, both of y'all are the best part. Have a good day. Well, thank you, Tony. And thank you for calling me Brittany Page every time you said my name. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate I that. I would like, before we get started, before I start unraveling his little fantasy here, um, are you uncomfortable no, with that? No. Uh, you do you, Jesse D. <laughs> I, I will. Thank uh -huh, you. Uh -huh. um, but but when you're, if you're on the road and you're a truck driver and you call into the show, it's great telling us you're Tony from Texas, but where are you? At the moment. Interesting. That's what I'd like to know. Yeah. I wonder how many truck drivers we have. We have listening a few. To the show. Yeah, yeah, we have a few. Mm -hmm. um, well, do you have anything to say specifically about it? Because I've got a few things. Well, yeah. Uh, how dare you try to rank the coincidence um, that I have? You're talking to Tony, not yeah, me. Yeah, he's comparing. He's saying, well, mine was. That's for sure. A obviously a coincidence. But mine was super. I got haunted by a ghost yeah, above my bed. Excuse me. <laughs> 
I, when I told my story, I said that when it happened, I was freaked out because it was crazy. I mean, it it had been probably, it it was probably um, seven or eight years after Gary had been killed that that happened. Um, and so it, it wasn't like he had just been killed and it just, it just happened. You know, there was like a substantial time between yeah. that where we didn't really, you know, talk about him or anything. And then on the same night that I happened to do the Ouija board and quote unquote, talk to his spirit, <laughs> uh, my mom brings home the tape of the, the news reporting of, of his death. So yeah, it was very weird because it was years later, but I, I chalk that up to just a coincidence, especially now at the moment I was like, this is crazy. What's going on? I was freaking out. But when I reflect on it now, I really do just chalk it up to being a coincidence. So it sounds like Tony though, um, is able to recognize that his experience is coincidental, that he has this dream and finds out that on the day that he had the dream about the person that he, that the person had died. Um, and I would call that a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Well, I don't know that he recognizes. Where do you get that he recognizes it as, as a coincidence when he tells the story about he wakes up to a white light, immediately goes back to sleep, and then has a dream? What's what's to what's to be that you, the whole thing wasn't a dream, and you dreamed that you woke up? Yeah, that's where I'm. That's the problem with these type of things. And look. I'm not, I don't think Tony's a liar. I don't think Tony's trying to deceive us. I think Tony really believes that this happened to him. And it's not that you're weak-minded. I've had all kinds of dreams where I think, holy shit, did that happen? Or am I dream? You know what I mean? Dreams can be very vivid. Uh, So I just, I think ultimately it was a coincidence that you dreamed about this guy. And then he died. When I was in like junior high. I had a dream. Are we dream. getting a ghost story? No, no. Oh. It's just I had a dream mm-hmm. about um, someone with whom I was close, mm-hmm. and they were on my mind all day long. Mm-hmm. And then it turned that their grandpa had died at the same time that I couldn't get them off my mind. Mm. Well, that's that doesn't mean that there was something spiritual or otherworldly going on. It just means... I happened to be thinking about them at the same time their grandpa died. So at the time, because you were Jesus-y then, did you connect it oh, to... Oh, yeah. Okay, so like God was For sure. sending you a message, right? Yeah, the Holy Spirit was putting her on my heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was just a coincidence. It's, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. listen, we, we are humans, are, are, we, are, we are hardwired evolutionarily to find patterns, to connect things when they don't make sense to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And yeah, you know what, Tony? I'm oftentimes uh, a douchebag. Yeah. Well, the good news for Tony is that he's able to enjoy horror films. So that's probably a good thing. And I'm assuming that he does. Um, Because he believes that that shit could be possible. Yeah. So that's good. Because I feel like I miss out on that. Honestly, I feel like I miss out on that. They're definitely ruined. Um, But thank you for calling. And I appreciate your contribution. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you were trying to one-up me. How dare you? Your coincidence is way more coincidental than my coincidence. <laughs> way more coincidency. Oh. So this week, we were we, we suffered. The, the, the country, the world, the globe, humanity suffered another horrible school shooting. 
this time in Santa Fe, Texas. And we, as I expected we would, got a call from an educator about it. Hey guys, this is Gary. I live in Southwest Washington, a retired school teacher. I've taught for 23 years. I'm now back in the classroom for a six week substitute for a friend of mine. I was walking up to the office during the prep period to do some photocopying and the secretary told me that there had been another school shooting, 10 people dead in Texas. And it hit me that I'm in a classroom. I'm with a bunch of people Kids, most of them great, most of them fine students, but a small handful of angry young men who vacillate from joy to hatred at a, at a, a blink of an eye um, and who have access to lots of guns because this, again, is a conservative rural area. I'm thinking, wow, I can see several kids who I could easily imagine coming into school with a gun and taking out their frustration on their fellow students. You know, America just turned over an amazing statistic. More students have died in the American schools from mass shootings this year than armed service members have died in the Mideast, both combative and non-combative uh, members of our armed forces. Now, I know it's an arbitrary figure, but it's shocking. At what point is this delusion that more guns are going to mean that we are safer going to end? How can we, as an American citizenry, allow this to continue? The slaughter of our innocent children in a place where they should be safest. I tell you what, when you're in a classroom and you realize that it could happen to you, you start to wonder why in the hell you do this job. And then you look at those kids and the wonderment when you teach them something new and expose them to something new. It's just an amazing job and the hardest job I've ever done. So I'd just really like to figure out how we're going to end this. I look at with pride and at the, those kids in Parkland and the youth of America who are actually changing the conversation, those young, articulate kids with the passion that they have. And I look at the Americans who still fight them with their noxious rhetoric and their demand for more guns. I just don't understand how this country's going to survive. It's terrifying. Can we please pull our heads out of our ass and start doing something about this? We need universal background checks. We did a law that says if your gun is used in a commission of a crime, that you are equally guilty of that crime. So parents who leave their guns laying around because their kids know how to handle them and they've been trained in safety, and those kids take that gun to school and kill people, then you're going to jail too. Lock it up, make them safe, be a responsible gun owner. That's really what we need. Keep up the good work, you guys. Bye. So there were a lot of things in there to yeah. touch on. Um, we want to say happy Teacher Appreciation Week to Gary, though. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, um, 10 people were killed and 13 more were injured. And that included um, two teachers yeah and i think gary was talking about something like the the male students that he has and recognizing um frustration and anger and kind of moody behavior in them that he's able to see and i would have liked to hear more about that because that seems like a prevalent theme 
that we're seeing sure in a lot of these um school shooters and particularly with this santa fe um high school shooter as well um it's being reported that he had been very aggressive with a girl in class and that he had like continued to make advances on her and the girl's um the deceased girl's mother is making this claim so yes pretty close to her yeah and her mom says that she had four months of problems with him um and that she tried to tell him to stop and said no and that he continued and then she finally stood up to him and embarrassed him in class and um, a week later, he killed people, and she was the first one. And she says she doesn't, or she was asked, how do you know she was the first one? And she doesn't give any information about how she knows that. Um, yeah. So that hasn't been confirmed. But either way, he went in this classroom where she was right. a week after having been embarrassed in front of the class by her and killed 10 people. And was very um, sadistic about it. Uh, yelled surprise when he came in. Yeah. Um, I mean, reading about it also is terrifying. chose not to kill kids that that he believed were friendly to him. Right. Uh, in hopes that they would tell his story in a positive light. Yes. Whatever that means. Um. I'm I'm more hot. There's something Gary mentioned that I've mentioned in the past, uh, and I'm more hot on this idea than ever before. And that is, if you're a parent, if you're a gun owner, and you if you leave your weapons insecure, where they're able to be picked up, taken, used in the commission of a crime, a violent massacre like this, there needs to be some kind of legal liability. I don't know if I would go as far as, as Gary to hold them equally culpable for, for the crime. But there certainly needs to be consequences drastic and stark enough that would prevent weapons being left in the hands, in the capable hands of a killer. Well, and I believe that's what happened in this situation yes. as well. It was um, he had access to his father's guns and his father had obtained the guns legally. Right. And so they were just not kept out of his reach. He, he was able to yeah. um, access them and take them to school and murder 10 people and injure 13 other people. Now, there's a guy. His name is Dan Patrick, not the sports guy. Dan Patrick, the, the lieutenant general, uh, the lieutenant governor. I'm sorry, the lieutenant governor of Texas. And he and Abbott came out, the governor came out, and they made their statements. And in his statements, Dan Patrick said that we need parents to keep secure their weapons, not leave them open, available, easily accessible to high school students who may or may not have emotional problems, who may or may not use them in the commission of a crime. We're talking about scant percentages of these um, criminals, these killers. He said this in public. And then when asked about it by JTAP on CNN, he started walking it back, wouldn't answer the question, refused to say whether it should be law. 
The governor said he wants to do something about this, that prayers are not enough. Yes. He's announced roundtable conversations coming up early this week about potential solutions uh, to yeah. mass shootings, uh, school shootings. Here's what you said about possible answers on Friday. Take a listen. What can we do now? One, if you're a parent and you own guns, lock your guns safely away. Your children should not be able or anyone else to get your legally owned guns. It's a serious issue. It's one big step that we can take. If that's how you feel, sir, should that be law? Yes. Uh, well, in, in many cases, there are, there are laws, depending on the states, and, and I'm sure there's some federal law regarding your cap- culpability in a crime using a gun if it was your gun uh, or if you own a gun. Also, there have been civil suits filed against those who own guns when someone got their guns in the past. Uh, but without question, Jake, uh, several things need to happen. One, we have to start at home. A gun ownership, and I'm a proud gun owner, that comes with responsibility of gun control in your home. Be sure that your kids and grandkids or anyone who might have access to your home uh, cannot get your guns. And number two, uh, Jake, Can I just I'm interrupt a firm for one second? I'll, I'll as, get to, I want, yeah. you, to, I want sure. you to get to sure. number two in a second, but just to, sure. on number one for a second. Sure. Should it be law... That if you, especially if you have children in the house or people under 18, I know Texas, the age is 17, but, but should right. it be law that you, right. that you have to lock up your guns? Well, again, um, Jake, depending on the state, uh, I'd have to look at all the, the federal well, what about code Texas? right now and code concerning their guns. Uh, in Texas, again, uh, we hold you very responsible if you're a gun owner. For example, I'm a concealed carry, as are almost one million Texans. If I use my gun uh, to stop a crime or to, de- to defend myself, and a stray bullet, uh, if I fire a bullet that goes astray and strikes someone else, I can be held not only civilly but criminally liable. So even in a case of not only c- controlling your guns in your home um, and keeping them locked up, uh, you also uh, can be held criminally uh, liable if, if you use your gun and someone gets hurt uh, who was not your intended target. If someone's trying He's to attack answering. you and you miss them and hit someone else, uh, yes, you can face charges. So, right, that's the law right uh, now in have Texas, to look but at there, exactly, isn't a, there isn't a law uh, yes. requiring yes. safe storage. I Jake, think, I'm not, Jake, Jake yeah. I didn't come on with you this morning to go through the entire penal code of the federal government of the state. I'm just saying that every parent out there needs to understand Every gun owner, if you're not a parent, you need to understand your guns must not be, you must, you must control your guns at home and be sure they're locked up and kept away from others getting your guns. You don't have to explain the entire penal code of the federal government state, which isn't a fucking thing, idiot. You political fucking coward. You don't have to explain the entire penal code. Let's just discuss this tiny sliver of policy that we're talking about right now. You're the lieutenant governor, a man with a position, a man with, with, with aspirations to become the governor of the state. Should it be a law that parents are required to safely store their weapons away from children, away from ne'er-do-wells who would mean their fellow students harm? Should it be or not? That's the question. This this obfuscation is bullshit. Listen, after every single one of these massacres, because that's what they are, we should have an earnest conversation. We should look at the circumstances surrounding what happened, 
and see what reasonable measures could be taken through legislation and government action to have prevented it. And a reasonable solution is to require by law that weapons of war, weapons of death, weapons of destruction are safely secured. Is that not a reasonable a reasonable ask of the government? That if you're going to be part of the well-regulated militia, the security of a free state being important, all language in the Second Amendment, you need to be responsible gun owner and keep your gun secure. And if your gun is used in the commission of a crime, it wasn't secure. You need to be able to prove if it was used in the commission of a crime that you did everything within your power to a reasonable degree. They're in a gun safe. Now, if the gun safe gets stolen and the guns get taken and used in the commission of a crime, you did everything in your power. But if they're on a coffee table or in your nightstand, unlocked, unsecured, and 10 people die, 10 people are murdered, gunned down, you're liable. You're criminally liable. And we're not talking about a fucking fine. You're going to face jail time. That is a reasonable legislative fix that could have prevented this. Not, not guns in the hands of teachers. That's fighting the symptom. That's not fighting the disease. Well, even the goalpost is moving on that because there was a lot of talk about the armed security guards, right? But then this keeps happening at schools where there are armed yeah. people on campus. In fact, this school had two people that yes. were armed. Um, at and, least two. And their job was to walk the halls and monitor things. They had that. Yeah. Um, and this this still happened. So now there's like talk about the doors. Yeah. Now they're moving to talking about the doors at schools. We need armed teachers trained, of course, not just anyone who has a gun, but trained how to handle active shooters in the in the schools. We need to harden the target. Number two, Jake, we need to get down to one or two entrances into our schools. You have the necessary exits for fire, of course, but we have to funnel our students uh, into our schools so we can put eyes on them. This young man showed up with a trench coat, which he wore often, I've learned, uh, and he had a gun under it, and he, and he came through one of the entrances undetected. You know, the Israelis have, 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 have three focus on security, and that is to deter, detect, and deny. And we have too many people who can get onto our school campuses with guns who are not deterred and are, and are not detected. So I'm proposing that our new school designs are built that way, and we retrofit our schools. The average age of schools in, tech in America, Jake, are 44 years old. Uh, schools weren't designed and built you know, 40 mm -hmm. and 50 years ago to deal with today's issues. So we can harden those targets and make it more difficult. So Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, would have you, how would you deal with this, Governor? Would we, are, are we to just accept the fact there are, there are uh, armed marauding gangs of teenagers who would do us harm? Th that's just the way it is. There's always going to be kids who want to murder everyone in their school. Let's get fewer doors. Let's not address the issue of them having access to weapons 
let's just uh, let's retrofit, quote unquote, our schools with fewer doors. (laughs) The environment, the environment that he's describing, is that a place that you would want to be? I mean, does that sound like a healthy learning environment to you? Where you need to have the teachers armed and trained and ready to kill at any moment. They need to have their eyes on all students. They need to have them come in in a way. I mean, it's like sounding like um, like a scene out of Hand- Handmaid's Tale, honestly. Um, yeah. Where there's like this, they're talking about surveillance and watching and trained and prepared. And it just sounds like a terrible environment in which to learn. Um and I'm trying to put myself in a position where I'm a young person and these these are being these methods are being talked about as though they are reasonable. And we've already talked about it before, but there's several teachers that were problematic that I would not have want wanted to be oh, armed, yeah, that sure. had anger problems, that were throwing things. Um and to to know that your teachers are armed, um, and ready to shoot you. I mean, that's just, that's concerning. I, I don't know. I Every time I hear that, I feel like that would make kids anxious. Well, they're, listen, they're describing an atmosphere that isn't a classroom. They're describing a, an atmosphere that is more akin to a combat zone, to urban warfare, like they're fighting viewing, house to house, like they're knowing viewing, how to clear a room. Viewing kids as the enemy. You need to surveil these kids. Yes. You need to have your eyes on all kids. What? I, I just... You Let's know, not address the guns. Let's address how we just... This is just the, the new reality we live in. There's nothing we can do. Even what he said about the trench coat. He's like, the kid walked in with a trench coat. Okay. I knew kids that yeah. were goth kids and they wore trench coats and... What are you gonna? What are you gonna ban trench coats now? Is that not an allowed thing? Well, you can't I, ban guns. That's the next thing. You ban doors and you ban trench coats with these fucking idiots. So they're gonna start the clear backpacks. They're gonna start changing the kinds of things you can wear because we can't have a conversation about guns. It's right. anything other than the conversation about guns, and that's really. It's just tragic. He won't even have a conversation about forcing gun. We're not even talking about taking guns away, guy. We're talking about making sure people who own guns secure them properly. And he won't even have that conversation. They are fucking cowards. Every last one of them. Well, and the other... Getting their campaigns rich on NRA money. NRA blood money. The other part of this conversation... Um, if you're ready to go there. Oh, I wanted to play the Jimmy Kimmel thing. Okay, let's do that. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel gave an impassioned speech as you would expect him to do. And I'm not going to play the speech, but at the end of it, they juxtaposed the reactions of children in the aftermath of this bloody massacre with the statements of politicians, not Dan Patrick, but assholes like him. My friend got shot in the art hole. And as soon as the alarms went off, everybody just started running outside. And next thing you know, everybody looks and you hear boom, boom, boom. We're interpreting the Constitution as written, defending the Second Amendment. You'll keep your guns. After I heard the shots, I knew it was real. 
And I was just scared for all my friends that I couldn't find. We will filibuster any legislation that undermines the Second Amendment. No one even really knew what was going on until we seen our fellow students coming out with blood on them and shots through their legs. Of course we want to listen to these kids. She called me, she said, Mom, there's shots at the school. I told her to stay quiet, to stay calm, to breathe. In this administration, the right of the people to keep and bear arms will not be infringed. We had to get out of there as fast as possible. Um, I ended up grabbing my girlfriend and telling her we need to leave now. We can't stay here anymore. If you the gun grabbers and come after our guns, then what I say is come and take it. Was there a part of you that was like, this isn't real, this, isn't, this would not happen in my school? No, there wasn't. Um, Why so? It's been happening everywhere. I felt, I've always kind of felt like eventually it was going to happen here too. We're going to save your guns. They're not going to take away your bullets. They're not going to shorten up your magazines. They're not going to do anything. Why would you expect your government to do anything about this? Why would anyone expect a reasonable, responsible government who cares about the health and welfare of its citizenry why would they expect anything to be done when, oh, it's guns. Guns are more important. The profits of gun manufacturers are more important. Look, the, you all know I'm not opposed to the Second Amendment. I don't even um, advocate for its uh, uh, repeal at all. But there's a responsible way to be a gun owner. There's a responsible way for the government to require People who want to own guns to own them. And this isn't it. Unfettered access to weapons of war that are being used to slaughter children at higher rates than our military at the current level, at, at, at current right now. I think the, the hardest part about listening to that was the girl who said, no, um, I'm not surprised. It's been happening everywhere. Yeah. And I figured it would happen here eventually. And I think that that is how uh, many students feel. I mean, I haven't seen a survey on that, but I, I assume that that is likely how many kids feel. Yeah. Um, that they need to be on guard that they need to be more suspicious of people who are exhibiting signs of violence. Um, it, it just seems like a very difficult environment to be in schools. And when this happened, Donald Trump tweeted, school shooting in Texas, early reports not looking good. God bless all. What, it, what does that mean to be so flippant about deaths? Early reports not looking so good. I mean, honestly, that's the position that you're going to take as president when you send out a tweet. Yeah. When you're talking about um, kids who are dead. He's another fucking coward. That's all you have to say. I mean, this tweet was so shocking to me. Remember months, remember months ago after Parkland when Donald Trump in a meeting said, oh, well, uh, maybe I'll just have to take the hit because it doesn't matter to me if the NRA comes against me. It matters to you, congressmen and senators. Maybe I'll be the one. I need to take the hit. That was on a Tuesday. By Thursday, Friday, he had already backed down from that. And then he just spoke at the NRA convention. Because he is a fucking coward. Because he is a tool of the NRA. Because he is in their pocket. He is afraid of the NRA. 
And if you can't expect political or moral courage from the President of the United States, why in the fuck would you expect it from Congress? Especially this Congress. Filled with cowards. We're aiding and abetting the murders of American school children. That's just the way it is. That's not hyperbole. They are aiding and abetting. If you know a problem exists and you have the power to fix it and you refuse, you're culpable. You're responsible. I can't change the goddamn laws. I'm a dick with a, with, with a, a microphone. Paul Ryan has the power to do so. The Senate, Mitch McConnell has the power to do so through Donald Trump signing legislation. And they all fucking refuse. That's why 2018 in November is so goddamn important. The primaries that are all coming up right now, almost every Tuesday, between now and and, and the general election. Everyone is important. Get out there. Support a progressive anti-gun, anti-NRA candidate. Even if it's someone who advocates for an extreme position. Because an extreme position isn't going to happen here. We need someone who is not in the pocket of the NRA. Go ahead. Well, I want to get to the other part of this, which is circling back to what um, Gary was talking about um, with behavioral issues that he notices with boys in the classroom. Yeah. And this article about Jordan Peterson came out uh, a couple days ago, and it's written by Nellie Bowles, and um, it's in the New York Times. Jordan Peterson, custodian of the patriarchy is the title. And Jordan Peterson is the Messiah coming to rescue everyone from the crisis in masculinity, basically. And um, from the crisis of feminism. That's the crisis to him. Well, he no, he believes there's a crisis in masculinity <laughs> that society is pushing toward this um, putting pressure on men to become more feminine. And uh, I don't feel it. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, But my favorite line in the article is when he describes himself as a very serious person, because who does that? I mean, think of the people that you've heard do that. And Reza Aslan calling himself a scholar constantly. So one of the things that he says in the article is, quote, violent attacks are what happens when men do not have partners and society needs to work to make sure those men are married. He described the uh, Toronto killer as he was angry at God because women were rejecting him. The cure for that is enforced monogamy. That's actually why monogamy emerges. She goes on to write that Mr. Peterson did not pause when he said this. Enforced monogamy is, to him, simply a rational solution. Otherwise, women will all go for the most high-status men, he explains, and that couldn't make either gender happy in the end. Half the men fail, he says, meaning that they don't procreate. And no one cares about the men who fail. At this point, she said that she laughed because she felt like his um, line of reasoning was absurd. It is absurd. And he says, you're laughing about them, giving her a disappointed look. That's because you're female. And this reminded me of Ron Burgundy. Um, I'm a man who discovered the wheel and built the Eiffel Tower out of metal and brawn. That's what kind of man I am. You're just a woman with a small brain, with a brain a third the size of us. It's science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So he Jordan Peterson, everybody. So he um had to write a blog on jordanbpeterson.com to further explain his comments because there was a lot of fervor about them on Twitter. And he said that that he didn't mean like government sanctioned enforcement of monogamy. Well, then how and do you enforce monogamy if not through an arm of the government? That it is um, socially <laughs> promoted. That is that is what he said. That's not enforcement. That is encouragement. And he he goes on to talk about uh. how how this is something that is talked about in like scientific literature and fields of anthropology and things like that. Um, and that they have found that being in monogamous relationships makes men less violent. And so th- that he's basing his thesis on this scientific finding. And he, he talks about how men are frustrated when they are not, when they're incapable of being competitive in the sexual marketplace and that this leads them to being violent. And so his solution to that is that society prioritizes monogamy. But the thing is, society already prioritizes monogamy. That is already something that is socially promoted. How many people do you know personally that are polyamorous? That I've met in real life? Sure, that you've met in real life. Zero. I know people online, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't know anyone mm-hmm. personally. Um, I mean, like in an open polyamorous relationship. I, I know people who have fucked around and, and cheated, but I don't believe cheating behaviors as polyamorous. Mm-hmm. I, I always look at polyamorous as like a... Um, I'm talking an, about an agreement between people that this is the way it is. Right. I'm talking about people like that who, yeah. who are in relationships, in intimate relationships, where they are in intimate relationships with other people, and that that is the uh, part yeah, of their relationship. I, I know one one person. Yeah. So yeah. so Gallup polls they they ask this question from time to time. They ask people the moral acceptability of polygamy, and um, Americans who say polygamy is morally acceptable has gone up over time. But it's only 17% mm. as of 2017. Okay. That's how many people say it's morally acceptable. So. <laughs> well, that flies in the face of Jordan Peterson's logic that. I mean, it does to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he's acting like monogamy is looked down upon. And I understand. That, it's the standard. Yeah. I understand that people. It's the benchmark. In our American Western civilization right now. People can make the argument that we are slowly moving away from that. And there are people who, like Candace Owens, who lashed out on Twitter at Sarah Silverman, um, Chelsea Handler, and someone else. Like unmarried women who have not had children. Yeah. Um, And there is still this pull of looking at women that are older who haven't married and haven't had kids of like, well, what's wrong with you? Right. Because they believe they should be in a monogamous relationship. I mean, there's still this standard. Right. And he's acting like there because there are other relationships and that the openness with which people have different types of relationships is somehow threatening the institution of monogamous relationships. I I would go ahead. But I want to challenge the entire concept of half of men fail. Mm-hmm. There's more women on the planet than there are men. 
I don't think it said half of men fail. Is that? Yes, that's that's the quote you read. Go back to the. Oh, half the men fail. Yeah, half the men don't fail. There's more than enough women to go around. If you're failing, it's not because you got beat out by another dude. It's because you haven't calibrated your standards appropriately. That's what the problem is. We'll put this on terms that uh, Jordan Peterson can understand. If you're a four and you're holding out hope for a 10, whether it be intellectually, looks-wise, socially, whatever, you have to calibrate, brother. That's the problem. Well, I think a, I think another problem is, and I, I want to relate this to what Gary said and the shooting with the kid who was lashing out at the girl who rejected him and embarrassed him in front of class is that I don't understand why the reaction to these things is we need to redistribute sex. We need to treat women as a commodity. We need to treat sex as a commodity. Um, Women are going to have to take one for the, for the team um, and hook up with a low status male because we don't want him to be lonely and kill people. Yeah. Um, It seems like the default position should be how are we, failing men and what is it about like male relationships that there's this idea of masculinity where you can't be vulnerable you can't show your emotions you i don't get that you can't have you can't have intimate relationships with men intimate friendships with men because you don't want to look quote unquote gay um these ideas are still prevalent in masculinity i know you say that you don't experience them that you don't identify with that but that is a reality for many men and so this idea of not being able to show vulnerability not being able to cry all of these things i mean you still hear stories of young boys being told by their teachers or whatever boys don't cry don't do that um and and this is not helpful for boys, this idea of masculinity. And I don't know how we work with that, but it doesn't seem like the default position should be, let's start, you know, tossing women out uh, to, to dudes. and Like raw meat to lions. And emphasize that uh, monogamy is the way of the future. Like, let me read this, this, uh, this Jordan Peterson fan who is responding to somebody on, on one of these threads. Um, they said he obviously means that polygamous relationships should be banned because they're not sustainable. And this person keeps dragging them out trying to get what they're saying. They said certain things in life are facts and some are not. Basic math and study proves my point. Call it whatever you want if you want to disagree. It's simple. Ban it by law and produce television, film and text texts subtly introducing the idea that polygamous relationships are as toxic as the cigarette also release scientific studies showcasing the harm and problems associated with having multiple mates and then the way to enforce it according to this jordan b peterson fan is make it illegal for more than three people aged between 16 years older and 16 years younger (laughs) than two registered homeowners slash renters generally just take small steps to make it less attractive to be in that sort of relationship and then this person said, you want to make it illegal for three people to run a place together? <laughs> <laughs> but but this is kind of where his fans are going with it. It's emblematic of his his following. 
this, uh, this this strain of thought. Yeah, and because he speaks in a way that is um, like double speak a lot of times, there is some wiggle room where you do kind of have to figure out what it really is that he's getting at. And that's why he had to issue a blog post because he isn't specific in the first place. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to be a communicator, if you're going to be a communicator in science, if you're going to be this influential person who's making 80 grand a month on Patreon and going on tour and talking to all these young men, you should feel a responsibility yes. to talk with specificity and say what you mean rather than like dance around these topics and give wiggle room for these goofballs on Twitter to make these kinds of arguments. So I I just I think that the answer is not in Ugh. in talking about something that already exists, which is a um society advocating for monogamous relationships um i think there is a more important conversation about male masculinity what that means and how we can define it in a different way and allow men to express their emotions um and and not just expect that women are going to be having sex with them yeah but you're just a woman with a small brain with a brain a third the size of us it's science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's science, Brittany. Yeah. Well, Ugh. good times. Do you have anything to add to any of that? No, or? I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't. It, it's it, I'm not so impassioned about it because I think it's I mean, I'm probably wrong, but I think it's a problem that's going to go away. Um, once just through attrition, once this guy's not popular anymore, these opinions aren't going to be out there like they're mainstream. Yeah. And I, I believe Jordan Peterson's a fucking flash in the pan. The thing that's concerning, um, is that he is popular though, that there is yeah. some sort there's something missing in the culture for these people that they're eating this up. So I, I don't know how to reach them in a different way. And I don't know what the answer well, is. Well, it's but a bummer because this dickhead, uh, Jordan Peterson, isn't doing in the society any favors because he does have a large platform. He does have the ear of these disaffected, soci socially isolated youths. And he should be saying the right things. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be alone. And in that time that you're alone, that you feel lonely, work on yourself. Read important books. Better yourself intellectually. Mature. Because you're not guaranteed or entitled to a woman when you think you're entitled to it. Right. And I think he might. It'll come. It'll happen. I think he might be saying those things like in his rules book where he talks about cleaning, cleaning your, room, your fucking right? room and stuff like that. But I think that that's like the title. But I think in the, t in the chapter, it gets into more like, hmm. you know, doing things that whatever I haven't read it. Um, so maybe but, we should, but I think that it goes more than that. I think it is trying to do what you're saying, but the point is that those, uh, sound bites, they're not emphasized. This is what's emphasized. Yeah. And so if he wants to change that, he has the platform to do that. Goddamn right. Make an does. entire video about how men need to be more vulnerable, but he has an issue 
with men being uh, forced to be more feminine. That's like a, an issue for him. So what does that mean? Is it the showing of emotions that is quote unquote feminine? What does that mean? Um, I think he is still wanting us to adhere to these like traditional oh, family sure roles does. where men are the bread makers and women stay home. And the, these kind of winners, women are the bread makers. What did I say? Bread makers. Oh yeah. I meant bread winners. Um. <laughs> well, listen, he, he even says that, well, the reason the reason that uh, men are in charge is because they're just better at it. We're just better at being in charge of things. That's why we're president. That's why we lead the UN. That's why we do all these things because we're just generally good at that and women aren't as good at it and they're good at other things. And that's fucking horseshit. That's just bullshit. So I, I want to do this thing. Bullshit and bullshit. We, we used to do a um, Deepak Chopra quote generator, and it would, I forgot what the game was. We would compare. Uh, real or randomly generated, we call it. Yeah. Where you would, we would play, you would read the clip after randomly generating it, right. and I would guess whether it was real right. or a, uh, a real Deepak Chopra clip right. or a randomly generated Because one. his quotes are so nonsensical. Yes. Like, they are just... Yeah, Jordan Peterson's the white Deepak it's, Chopra. It's what, it's what has been called in the scientific literature pseudo-profound bullshit. Yeah. Um, and, the Sokol effect. And this is a quote from Jordan Peterson in this article that I want to read because it's very similar. So, he's... Can I do this before we do this? I'm gonna we're gonna end it here, and then we're gonna do three episodes this week because I still have all of Dollamocracy to get to, and we're over an hour now. Mm -hmm. So let's we'll end it here. We're gonna end it with with talking about Patreon um, and and shouting out uh, our our latest. But read this quote. We'll talk about it, and then we'll we'll do a third episode this week. But witches don't exist, and they don't live in swamps. The author says this to prompt him to say what he's about to say. Quote, yeah, they do. They do exist. They just don't exist the way you think they exist. They certainly exist. You may say, well, dragons don't exist. It's like, yes, they do. The category predator and the category dragon are the same category. It absolutely exists. It's the superordinate category. It exists absolutely more than anything else. In fact, it really exists. What exists is not obvious. You say, well, there's no such thing as witches. Yeah, I know what you mean, but that isn't what you think when you go to a movie about them. You can't help but fall into these categories. There's no escape from them. Are you fucking kidding me? That's a quote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is... That, no, wait. That's a response to... Let me read it on your laptop. All of that was a response to the statement, but witches don't exist and they don't live in swamps. Mm-hmm. And then all of that got diarrhea out of this fucking diarrhea hole. And so he he says they exist probably like... Five times, yeah. at least. Um, and this is kind of what I'm talking about. I, I, I don't understand the appeal of this man other than like a Deepak Chopra kind of character where he says things and you don't really know what he's talking about, but listening to him makes you feel good or smart. Yeah. And so you you kind of go along with it. Um I, I, I don't know, but I, I think that there and I hope that there starts to be room for a little bit more of a, a conversation around what men can do and not necessarily how women need to answer this call. I don't think it's up to women. I, I agree with you there. Listen, if you're if you're a man and you feel uncomfortable being emotional, I just mentioned this the other day to someone. 
sitting on the couch talking about how I cry at movies. And they laughed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think my reaction was, I, I will not be shamed. I mean, it was in jest. It was playful. But I'm not going to be shamed about the fact that I am emotional, that I cry, that I, that I can feel. Well, what the fuck would I be embarrassed about? If I cry in a movie theater after watching a movie and we walk out, I feel zero fucking shame about having red eyes, red swollen eyes after having cried. I just, I don't. And maybe it's the one of the few re- ways my parents did it right. But we weren't afraid to show emotion. We weren't afraid to hug and say we love each other. And if you're a man, you should feel okay. Do feel okay hugging another man. And not the fucking weird handshake then around the bro hug. I'm a hugger. And I'm not trying to convince everybody to be like Jesse D. Well, and I, and I, that's why I'm trying to be delicate about it because I know this is hard for me. I, I don't think, and, I, this, we need a fucking sledgehammer here. We don't need some delicate way about, around it. It's stop it. Stop acting like it's not okay to cry. Stop acting like it's not okay. You use the word intimate. I bristle at that word because I always, there's always a sexual connotation with that. But maybe intimate. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem either. That's what I mean. Male friendships are often even superficial. Women talk about the most intimate parts of their lives with one another. And they cry and they share their embarrassment and their fears. And they are open about that. And there's something different about male friendships where that kind of stuff isn't talked about Hmm. and i think i even have a problem with some of that stuff. yeah so i i think that there there are just differences here and i think it's always been that way so for people that want to say well yeah it's always been that way but we're only recently starting to have these issues with these young men that feel frustrated um but i think that there's like no outlet for them to talk about their feelings and even with um the views of therapy and going to therapy and admitting that you want to talk to somebody, all of that stuff should be more supported in the culture. Yeah. On Um, the table, not looked upon as weakness. Yeah. Um, so vulnerability isn't weakness. Yeah. I, I, I do my best. I know you do your best to model vulnerability. Um, I'm, it's always been hard for me to talk about my life and talk about the things I've been through. I still hold things close to the chest because I'm afraid to talk about them publicly. Um, so I get it. I get that it can be hard, but I try my best to model some sort of openness. And I think you do too. And I think if we do that in our own circles, it's meaningful for the people that, that are near us. Um, if you do it online, it's meaningful to people who see it. So I think it's all about just being more connected and more human even though this is like starting to sound hippy dippy and ridiculous um <laughs> it it is so yeah, yeah. um yeah life is hard all right well we're gonna end it there um we do want to shout out our our latest patreon um upper of the pledger harry harry thank you very much um it is your increase in contribution that is that allows us and all of all of you that give it allows us to to do what we do and this week will be kind of a taste of what will be coming soon if we get to that level because we are very close 
to third hashtag third episode per right. week. And so what we're going to do with this next episode is we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, so uh, it's Sunday today <laughs> and we'll do it on Monday. Um, and then a regular on Wednesday night or Thursday. Correct. And then um, also just to give you a heads up, our recording schedule is likely going to change here because the office complex in which we have the studio, at which we have the studio, uh, <laughs> uh, turns off, like most office buildings, turns off the heat and the and the uh, air conditioning on the weekends. So Sundays, like it's starting to heat up in here a little bit right now. Yeah, I'm dying. And in the summertime in Southern California, it's going to be fucking untenable. So we're going to have to record on weekdays. So we'll have to figure it out. Just I, to give you a heads up. I want to give a call for um, voicemails and emails from anybody, but specifically from men, I guess, if they have uh, things to share on this issue of vulnerability. Yes. And uh, that would be awesome. Being open with their emotions, maybe something that they have learned about overcoming the barrier to being more vulnerable um, and open with their emotions, or if they still have barriers, yeah, what, what those barriers, barriers are. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think this would be a good conversation to have, uh, especially coming from men and getting that perspective. So it's uh, more important than ghost stories. My last call. <laughs> for voicemails so <laughs> if you're willing to share we'd love to hear it and i think that would be an important way to move the conversation forward so 657-464-7609 of course email those voice memos to i doubt it at dollamore.com thank you all for your loyalty thank you for your listenership thank you for taking part and helping us move the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis we would love to have you in the Patreon family, helping support the show, helping produce the show, helping to move the conversation forward. You can go to dollamore.com slash Patreon. Of course, you can always buy stuff on Amazon through our Amazon link, dollamore.com slash Amazon. If you want to make a one-time donation to the show, dollamore.com slash PayPal. That's another way. Listen, go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's all kinds of ways to support the show. Crypto, all kinds of other ways. We love you guys. We will see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. It's science.